Please stand if you're able for the reading of the Lord's Word. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marie. So over the past 16 months, our country has had all kinds of shortages. First, it was toilet paper, remember? Um, People were panic buying toilet paper in March 2020, and so we had toilet paper rations at many stores, and some of us maybe ran out, I don't know. Then it was meat. It was hard to find meat because meat packing plants were short-staffed, and so if you wanted hamburger or steak or some especially red meat, you had to be there right after the delivery truck came to Hannaford's or there would be slim pickings. And then it was coins. Remember there was a national coin shortage? Maybe there still is. They were like paying people to bring their spare change to stores or back to the banks. Last summer I was trying to buy a mountain bike. Guess what? No mountain bikes. Everyone's trying to buy mountain bikes and campers, and boats, and camping equipment. Right now, there's a shortage of affordable housing. The housing market is so inflated that if you're a first-time prospective homeowner, you're priced out of the market. There's also a shortage of labor. Meg and I drove by a Taco Bell in Williston yesterday, and the sign said they're offering $1,000 hiring bonuses At Taco Bell, they can't find anybody to work. James is telling me there's a shortage of maple syrup. The the crop this year was so paltry that Runamuck Maple was running at a 12,000 barrel shortage for what their projected needs are for this year. And they're a small operation. Well, I could go on and on. There's so many things we've seen that are in short supply. But I want to tell you there's one less obvious shortage that is much more concerning, much more problematic. That is the shortage of people who will tell others about Jesus. I could flip it around and say there's a shortage, or or sorry, there's a vast unmet spiritual need in our world and in our community. There is. It's certainly true worldwide. If you think about our our planet, there are literally billions of people with no access to a Bible, with no church in sight, with not even one single Christian who could tell them about Jesus. That is a major problem. But, But today we can just focus even on our own community where we interact with people every day who are hopeless, who are hurting, who are lost, who are confused about spiritual things, and they don't know that Jesus is the answer. 
There are even many people who have a nominal Christian background who, who don't truly understand the gospel as good news. They've never heard it as good news. There is a shortage of people who will tell others about Jesus. And if you really think about that, it's an overwhelming need. How do we respond to it? I think that's the question our church is and should be asking. How do we respond to this vast spiritual need all around us? Well, my, my goal today, very simply, is to answer that question, at least in part. How, what can we do about it? How do we begin to meet the needs around us? And I was drawn to this passage because it shows us three essential things we must do to begin to meet the spiritual need around us, to begin to make up for the shortage of kingdom workers. We must feel as Jesus feels, see as Jesus sees, and then do what Jesus says. Those three things. So let's, let's talk about them one by one. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to keep that open to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. We pick up in verse 35 with Jesus in the thick of his ministry. Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus is a busy man at this point. He and his disciples are going from town to town to village to village through Galilee, which is an area more than three times the size of Franklin County. They go to one village, stay a few days, go to another village, stay a few days. And he is teaching, as he goes, teaching about the kingdom of God. What do you think, wh what was he saying? Well, if you look at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, you get a pretty good idea of what he was saying. How to live in the kingdom. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, which is that God's kingdom is near. It's available to everyone who will repent and turn to Jesus. That is good news. It's the same good news today. And along with this proclamation and teaching, he was healing Every disease and sickness, he was making people whole again, showing that he has the authority to teach what he does. Well, for this reason, huge crowds come to see him. He's a, he's a spectacle wherever he goes. I suppose if Jesus showed up doing these things today in Georgia, the same thing would happen. Uh, every, you know, any sickness or disease you have can be healed without cost and without, um, without a doctor. Um, so huge crowds are following him wherever they go. Wherever he goes, there are sick and lame people begging for healing. There are people hungry for his words. There are men, women, and children. There are people in nice clothes and people in rags. And how did Jesus feel about all these people coming to him with their needs? How did he feel? Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to 
give us a peek into Jesus' heart. When all these people with all their needs and all their problems were pressing around him, he didn't feel annoyed. He didn't feel angry. He didn't feel judgmental. He didn't feel tired of them. He felt compassion. He loved them. The Greek word for compassion literally means his bowels were moved. His bowels were stirred within him. It's a very graphic image, but in English we might, we might say his heart was broken. Something deep inside him was moved and stirred. How often do we feel compassion for those around us? How often do we get close enough to people with their needs and stay close enough to them to actually have compassion for them? Sometimes we see you know, an obviously needy person, and we turn away. We think, I can't handle their problems. I can't spend the hour that they're going to talk my ear off about their issues. I can't approach this person with an obvious mental health problem because I won't know what to do. We see people as interruptions, as annoyances. Sometimes we judge people in our hearts for being messed up. We write them off as less fortunate. Or we simply turn away because the needs are so intense. But Jesus does not do that. He has compassion, love. And if we're going to begin to meet the spiritual needs around us, we have to feel the way Jesus feels about the lost, which is compassion. We have to love people enough to share Jesus with them. And in fact, if you try to share Christ with someone without compassion, you're just condescending. You're just, you know, prideful. Well, it'll be easier to have compassion for people when we see them as Jesus sees them. That's the next point. The reason Jesus felt compassion was because, well, it says right here, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That is such a, a vivid image, the sheep without a shepherd. I, I'm not a sheep farmer, but I do know that sheep are not naturally intelligent or self-reliant animals. <laughs> if left to roam free, they will, they'll get in trouble. They'll drink muddy water, they'll fall off cliffs, they'll get attacked by predators, they'll get stuck in bushes and die of exposure. They need someone to shepherd them. I saw a video a few months ago on Facebook, that vast collection of wisdom that we have. <laughs> and this video is actually pretty good. Um, it showed a sheep wedged face down into a deep crevice in the ground. All that you could see was its right hind leg sticking out. And along comes its, I presume its shepherd or some person, yanking on that back hind leg, yanking and yanking until the sheep finally pops out of the crevice. And then what happens? But the sheep leaps away with joy only to fall right back in the same crevice. <laughs> face first, wedged in. Sheep without a shepherd are in trouble. And 
so it is with people all around Jesus and all around us. People are helpless and harassed by spiritual forces and by the power of sin. They're helpless to it. They're harassed by, by uh, they're enslaved by drugs and alcohol. They're stuck in dysfunctional relationships, in cycles of hurting and being hurt, abusing and being abused. They are tormented by demons, sometimes literally. They're, they're chained to the power of sin. They believe all kinds of false ideas about God and about themselves. And, and we're no different. We have done and we would do the same things without Jesus as our shepherd. To, ha- to be a sheep without a shepherd spiritually is to be defenseless against like a lion, the power of sin and death, and to be a sheep. There are even many professing Christians who, who are living like a sheep without a shepherd, not connected to a church, not growing spiritually, not not following Jesus, but wandering from him. And I would say they're also sheep without a shepherd. So do you see people around you the way Jesus sees them? Do you see their spiritual need? I think so often we see people that look happy and healthy, maybe enjoying their kids or having a good time, and we think, Oh, they're doing fine. They don't have any needs. We don't see the true spiritual need that underlies all of the other needs we have. But Jesus did. He saw through the the nice clothes or the bad clothes, the, the age, whatever people presented, he saw through that. This is great. And he saw they were sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Helpless. I think one of our regular prayers should be, Lord, help me to see people as you see them. Because without that, we, our sin kind of distorts the way we see people, like scratches on a lens. We see, you know, superficially, we just look at the outside presentation of a person. And we think, oh, they're doing fine. But Jesus says, people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're spiritually lost without him. But there's, there's one more crucial piece of how Jesus saw the spiritual need. Look with me at verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you see, Jesus is seeing this need, but he doesn't see it as an unsolvable problem or just a burden. He sees a huge harvest. He sees a harvest. What seems simply like overwhelming need to us is overwhelming possibility to Jesus. Like what we talked about last week, problems are opportunities. Jesus sees all this spiritual need, and he sees a ripe harvest. When do you harvest a crop? 
when the hay is tall and full of nutrients, when the apples are ripe, when the corn is full grown and ready to chop, right? They're ready. They're, it's ready to come in. And in the same way, there are people all around us who are ready and ripe to hear the gospel. It may not seem like it to us, but it's true. Do you believe that? I think this is one of the biggest mental shifts we need to make from a, from a conception of like, well, we're just, we're just doing our thing and people out there don't, aren't really interested in Jesus and that person is too hostile and that person is too um, comfortable and that person is too, um, uh, too broken. We just assume that people wouldn't want to know about Jesus or we're too intimidated to tell them. Do we believe that there's actually a ripe harvest? There is. There is. We need to see the world this way. If we truly see people the way Jesus sees them, we'll have compassion on them, we'll see their spiritual need, but we will see that they are ready, many are ready to come into the kingdom. And they need someone to tell them. But what can we do? You know, we're back in the place of this overwhelming unmet need. Jesus said the workers are few. There's a problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're only a small church with a small budget. There are only a few other churches around here. Individually, we only have so much time and and, and so many gifts, and we have a limited reach, right? Well, Jesus has an answer for us that can help us not be overwhelmed or pessimistic or um, burn out because of such need. So let's, let's do what Jesus says in verse 37 and 38. Well, verse 38 actually begins with, the only imperative verb, the only command in this section, what is it? Ask. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's a bit surprising to me. I have always read this verse in expected it to say, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, go out and work harder. Therefore, don't waste any time. Therefore, speak to as many people as you can. That's what our natural instinct would do, to organize better, to raise more money, to invite more people, to do more programs, to work until our fingers are blistered. But that's not what Jesus says. When he, he says, when we're faced with an overwhelming task, the first thing required is to get on our knees. Because what is an impossible task for us is possible for God. Before we get into the harvest field, we need to talk to the owner of the field, the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest field, not ours, right? Look how many times it refers to God, um, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
So he planted the crops. It's his field. He knows which ones are ripe, and he is able to send out more harvesters. We're not able to do that, to call people to serve him. As I meditated on this passage this week, there was an uh, amazing truth that became clear to me. The truth is that God doesn't need us. The Lord of the harvest doesn't need us. And yet, he chooses to use us. He chooses human harvesters, human workers to do his work. Jesus didn't say, ask God to bring in the harvest. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to what? To send out more workers. Pray, so prayer is the first and most important thing we do. And if we really believe that, I think we would do what Jesus said. We would pray. Pray with a friend. Pray with a family member or a spouse. Pray with your small group. Pray, um, uh, pray at our church prayer meeting on the fourth Thursday of every month. Pray with your kids. Pray on your own. And then pray for people around you. Pray for the other students in your kids' classes. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your friends. Pray for our own church and other churches to be effective. Pray for Christians, including yourself, to have courage to share their faith. If we forsake prayer, if we don't do that, we are heading toward um, discouragement, burnout, ineffective ministry, um, disaster. Brian, Brian said in the prayer meeting last Thursday, um, nothing, is, nothing is possible without God. All things are possible with God. So let's keep prayer central. A few years ago, Meg and I watched a series on TV called Home Fires. It was a drama that followed the lives of several women in a, a village in England during World War II. And one of the women was named Steph Farrow. She and her husband owned a farm in this village. And her, her husband had, had to go and join the RAF to, to fight in the war. So she was left with her son and herself to, to operate this whole farm. Even the hired hand was called up to serve, and they couldn't find anyone to replace him. Well, they worked hard, they got the crops planted, they took care of the animals. Um, but then it came to be harvest time in the fall. And they were up against a task that they could not complete. They grew maize, and they had to harvest enough maize at the right time so they could sell it and, and keep the farm open and keep their farm. So Steph and her son worked and worked in the field until their fingers bled from blisters. He was cutting down stalks with a hand scythe, and she was husking them, ripping them off the stock and putting them in the wagon. They were hardly making a dent in the acres and acres of corn, of maize that needed to be harvested. She collapsed of exhaustion. Well, the doctor came and told her, you need to rest you can't do this by yourself. And she said, no, you don't understand. If we don't do this, we're going to lose the farm. 
Well, she was eventually convinced to lie down. She fell asleep on her couch. And that night, under the moonlight, dozens and dozens of friends and neighbors came to complete the harvest. They, some were cutting stalks, some were shucking them, some were loading wagons. They all worked together to get the job done. Workers were provided. When Steph woke up the next morning, she was annoyed she had slept so long. She, she walks outside and she puts a hand to her mouth in shock as she sees the entire field harvested and her wagons loaded with maize. What she couldn't do could be done with many more workers. What is impossible for, God, for us to do alone is possible for God. God can send more workers into the harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I think as we begin praying that prayer, we might find that God answers our prayer by sending us. By sending us. Let's pray.